How, so what did you do ex exactly? Well, well um, yeah. yeah. So, in, so initially, like most arts organisations, that we made use of the, the opportunities that sort of the furlough scheme did for kind yeah. of you know continuing our existence, and, and the majority of the musicians were were, were placed on onto furlough. Um, but periodically, we would so initially we would bring out one or two musicians a week, and they would film some content that we could share with our audience through our social yep. media channels or, or, you know, via our website, which would, you know, kind of a bit of a, I mean, you know, we were thinking on our feet, you know, how do you take 80, you know, the essence of 80 musicians and kind of create that. So, so that a bit kind of behind the, behind the curtain stuff was, was sort of behind the scenes stuff was the, the start of it. And then as we sort of developed and, and um, you know, the advice in terms of how you could congregate, how you could work, became a bit clearer, we then brought smaller ensembles together to work in the space, film some content, put that out, broadcast it, again, initially through social media channels. And then eventually, as we sort of began to open up uh, and the Cultural Recovery Fund uh, uh, was made available um, to organisations like ours, we applied to create some specific online content and recorded content which we, back to this quality word that we talk about mm -hmm. sort of all the time. And, you know, when I was talking about, you know, the building, the reason we went through a Reba competition was about that pursuit of excellence, about that kind of, yeah. you know, making sure that you, you're going for the best of the best. Um, so so we wanted, if we were going to put something out, it's very easy to film something, put it onto YouTube and, you know, for it to exist. But does it exist in a way that represents the organisation as you see yourselves and as you want your audience to, to receive you? So, um, so we worked very hard. We worked with some um, uh, partners, and we essentially became a, a, a TV production company for for a period of time, where we we picked um, some pieces that we could fit in here uh, initially at, at St Peter's, but also we by that point were able to to provide some funding to support our colleagues at the Bridgewater Hall to get the building partially reopened so that we could get all of the orchestra onto an extended stage at the Bridgewater Hall, which um, uh, was kind of the big, big challenge to begin with, was was how do you get the musicians back together when they've got to be two metre distance, mm. or a metre distance. Yeah, we only, we played with sort of 60 odd players, but quite interesting to see that, you know, the brass section were right up by the organ, right up, um, you know, in the Bridgewater Hall, obviously where the choir seats would be, and spaced out as Martin said, you know, and then it's quite a huge extension on the front. So the distance between the leader, for instance, say, and and the first trumpet was considerably more than what it would normally be. So the usual issues of how you get an ensemble to play together yeah. uh, were magnified incredibly. Having said that, one of the great things that came out of that was in a sense, the way the string section bloomed because everybody could really hear what they were playing and they were all, they all had their own stand. So obviously, normally they would share a stand. Yeah. All had their own stands. People started to, to, you know, really hear exactly what they were doing and working on their playing in that respect. And the whole sound of the orchestra was quite considerably different in lots of ways. Yeah, yeah it's one, one phenomenon that happens where the orchestra is so loud that you can't hear yourself, which is very important. And so it's the uh, the cocktail effect where you play louder because you want to hear yourself, but then everybody, all your neighbours, realise you play louder, so they'll play, so they louder, play louder and then they, they end yeah. up so playing really, really loud. 
It was a really interesting time, and certainly, you know, we made, as, as Martin said, you know, really high-quality video concerts and so on um, that that went out to went all well, went out well, sorry, we? yeah, all over the world. So, so I mean, you know, yeah. so that you know, we 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 eventually, after the kind of you know, have sort of moments of I suppose existential crisis, um, realized that there was opportunity in, yeah, in yeah, the situation, right. and and yeah, so so kind of putting content together that could yeah. be seen. More than just you know our, our audience in Manchester. Um, One question I have is obviously those that content is really interesting for an audience, but it doesn't bring money unless you well maybe so, so we, with we, the views of YouTube you can monetize everything. Yeah, yeah. But how how did you get money and uh, well did you? So there was a grant. So there was a grant from the, which which oh, enabled us to, to do okay. the work initially, and then we put it out as a subscription service. Um, uh, okay. Via Vimeo, which which yep. Uh, yep. could be could be paid for, and that was kind of an experimental thing. I mean, we were conscious that there were lots of other organisations who were in exactly the same position, mm. um, who uh, and some of whom perhaps had started that work before us. Um, so you know, uh, you know, some people have kind of their own app and their own channels yep. already well developed. Some you know mm. arrive with your Sony TV, some of them pre-installed. You know, so. So it, it was how do you find your niche? How do you find your... So so the first thing was that we wanted to, you know, wanted to get the orchestra back playing, existing, you know, yeah. the, the kind of this continual performance element of the, the Halley's life is a really important part of our heritage, you know, that, that we've never stopped playing. Um, we've performed concerts in every year of our existence. And, and you know, when you're sort of looking at, oh, will, will that happen? Um, but we we managed to to do that. So we got the orchestra back and 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 um, in a meaningful way as a as an ensemble. Um, and then we you know can we service our audience? Can we can we give them concerts that they want to see? So we, so we had I think eight subscription concerts, and we also in the run up to the Christmas of twenty twenty wasn't it? Yeah, in the run up to Christmas of twenty twenty we. Um, recorded a, a, a YouTube concert, uh, which we gave away free for Christmas on, yeah. on mm -hmm. YouTube uh, for a limited period because of the way performing rights were, we, can't, we couldn't afford for that to be up. Um, the, the, um, the streaming fees would be, you know, too exorbitant for it. Yeah. But for a limited period, we were able to budget that. And we, we essentially, that was our Christmas gift to the city. Yeah. And that had thousands and thousands and thousands of views. Those people that come to the Bridgewater Hall for their Christmas concert weren't able to come, were able to sit sometimes. So I know of families who called each other and pressed play at the same time so oh, that nice. they watched it at the same time. Yeah. In separately in their homes, <laughs> so so that sense of family, community, congregation, we were still able to kind of achieve for for you know. But I mean, it, it, you know, they were incredibly. We managed to get the whole of the orchestra and our adult choir in the Bridgewater Hall, but they took up every seat separately, so right around the auditorium. So I mean, it, it, it will be a fascinating piece of social history. In the future, those recordings, um, because you know you will see how how we had to innovate to to. Mm. And when and when the when the audience started coming back, yeah. you know all the distancing within the hall of how many people we could get in was it's a fascinating exercise. Yeah, and two shows a day, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to make Do you still use all those platforms, or you've so yeah, yeah. So the digital partially. team are are constantly performing, and and in fact, um, of 
of the original digital series, um, some of that's been repurposed. So our presentation of Stravinsky's The Soldier's Tale was picked up by the BBC and they've recently shown that on BBC4. It's available on the iPlayer for the next uh, 11 months, I think. Yep. So, so yeah, that. so it was... It yeah. was um, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah, it was a kind of a, a, a key uh, part. Um, uh, you know, that, that was a very different sort of thing for us to present and, and that yeah. it's great that that's had a life of its own subsequently. And that's then led us to think, well, can we do something else like that in the future? So, so. so the other thing that's, that came out of it, we, we gave the first performance of Hugh Watkins' Second Symphony and that won a South Bank Award yeah. as a digital concert. So... So, you know, as Martin's been referring to you all the way through this, is that the quality was really, really key. You know, that was recognised on the national basis of what the quality that actually the Halle and the system managed to produce during that time. Great. I think also from an educational point of view, um, we were able to produce a digital schools concert um, that, uh, you know, we know we had schools in Cornwall, in Kent, in Wiltshire, all the way through to Edinburgh, who were accessing, you know, we, we, we estimate that about 90,000 children saw that concert. So when Halley for Youth, which is the repeat, would normally play to about 7,500 a year, and then probably another 3,500 in Sheffield, the, the, you know, the digital connection there was, in, was immense. And that's got us working on other, as it were, sort of more unique content where we've been providing digital resources for schools uh, based on similar ideas or different pieces and so on to do that. So, uh, you know, one of the positives, I can say, coming out of the, of the pandemic was that development within our digital team and, and within the organisation to produce this unique content in a way that could go. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think we've all learned and taught ourselves how to use more digital marketing and digital social media and all those platforms and um, I'm one of the main beneficiaries because I don't think Atelier Crescendo would have survived without it. Um, and the yeah, the reach you've got yeah. is just far beyond well, far beyond Manchester. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I, I bet, well, I've got very few projects in Manchester. Mm. I work very um, not not very much in Manchester. I work out just in the UK and outside as well because. All those platforms have got such a reach that uh, is amazing, and we didn't know that all that potential until yeah. we, we got more interested yeah, in that. Definitely. Yeah, it's great. Um, so um, we're probably going to wrap up now. But um, what's the future of the Halle? Well, we're we're in a sort of we are in a period of change. So, so we, we are. We, we, it's, it's, it's a flexible ensemble. Yeah, I think that is that's going to be the future for us, as as, as Martin. Well, we both referred to. You know, we've got. Chamber ensembles within the orchestra that are doing, you know, do eight concerts a season here. We've got these uh, relaxed concerts with 26 players, no conductor. So, so we build the audience right into the into the players uh, uh, in a relaxed way. Those, they, they, we do eight shows of that a year. Um, the opportunity then to take that around, uh, the opportunity to expand what we do um, on the digital side. I mean, our digital team have just made a film, a short 15-minute film. Which we are yet to see, yeah, but, it, yeah. but it was We're just they, it, yeah. exactly that. We we, we they they sort of collaborated and developed and the scripts, scripts and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, so that's something would never have happened uh, without, in a sense, the pandemic because that's the way we've started to think on that. Yeah. Front. So I think there's a lot more coverage on that. There's a lot more reach into the community, 
And that, it's not just the fact that we think that's, you know, it has to happen because... In the, yeah, it's, not, it's not to tick a box. No, it's, the yeah, very existence of the orchestra, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I go back to the, you know, we've got to keep our musicians fresh, we've got to give them new challenges, we can't keep playing the same old stuff, so the repertoire is changing in the orchestra, we've got a lot more uh, female composers, uh, composers from... Uh, you know, ethnic diverse backgrounds are are, you know, are receiving performance of their music. Um, a lot more ethnically diverse soloists with the orchestra conductors and so on. And it's becoming a much more rounded system. And you know, if I was still playing, I would really welcome that because then you would escape the old oh, not Beethoven five idea. So having that variety of music, taking the audience on that journey, um, is our future, and that's the way that's going to develop. Yeah, and, and and I mean, I suppose it, purely in personnel, we're we're at a period where, during the the pandemic, John Summers, who led the organisation for for twenty plus years, uh, he he moved on, he, he retired. Um, uh, at the same time, our former head of artistic planning, Jeff uh, Owen, he 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 similarly retired. So they're two very important kind of strategic roles within the organisation. So David Butcher is our now chief exec and Anna Hurst, who's head of artistic planning, bring a new momentum, new sense of direction and, you know, a new new energy, if you like, in those those roles. Um, we've just appointed a new uh, Roberto Ruisi, who's our new leader of the orchestra. So so uh, he, he's very new in post. And again, that's kind of a key artistic position in terms of, uh, you know, orchestral standard I suppose that's kind yeah. of the, the um, you know uh, he's a fabulous uh, player young um, young violin player uh, and um, and we're not too far away from the end of some art elders tenure we, uh, we, we he's probably got well it's a season and a half left in his current role as music director mm -hmm. so so the process of, of succession planning is is underway um, and uh, no, no announcements yet, um, uh, and no decisions made yet. But but that process is underway. So so inevitably that will then also lead to some evolution of the organisation again. Yeah. So so you know we've uh, and we're, but we're doing it from kind of a, an interesting new footing. You know we've got St Peter's and and um, our activities at Ancoats, which kind of you know are the kind of bedrock for the organisation now. Alongside our, our long-standing and, and you know, valued residency at the Bridgewater Hall, so we've got a brilliant, brilliant place that we perform. We've got a wonderful place that we prepare. Interesting, you know, activities happening out in the community on the platform, and um, with our ensembles, you know, in terms of kind of our ability to make music. So, so, you know, the challenges for us are like the challenges for everybody else. You know, the money is always kind of you know the the, the the most difficult thing for a, an organisation. Yeah, have we got enough money to do everything that we want to do? Mm. Um, uh, and you know, the challenge for the organisation is to, is to to make that happen in in, in uh, all the ways that we can. Mm. And how we bring the audience with yeah. us? And, and bringing the audience with us. Yeah, and it, but you know, and, but those sorts of two things follow each other. Don't you? you know, if we get it right, the money will come. You know, yeah. the, the, there's you know, if we get the audience yeah. development stuff right, the money will come. So it, it's. It's an it's a really exciting time. I agree. It's, it's a really, really exciting, exciting time, time for the for the organisation. As you know, what I often say about the St Peter's project particularly is, is and we talked to her right at the start about the history of the organisation and and you know you can't fit 165 years of history. You know, so the 100 will be 165 in in January, um, 
of next year. And you can't, you know, you can't underestimate quite how much of what you do has happened before you came. Yeah. Um, so the fact that you get to be involved in a first after all that history is is a really remarkable thing. You know, I, I, I was saying to a friend of mine the other day that, um, you know, I work for an organisation that people write books about. You know, they write histories of about. Yeah. And so therefore, when you're involved in a first, I became very aware during the process of, of that that there would be a chapter in the future about the St. Peter's project because this is sort of a, you know, a a fundamental change to the the organisation. So it's like, just make sure your chapter is, you know, it's a good chapter. You know, you 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 come out of it well, you know, you're you're well, you're well. It's a good chapter, Martin. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But but, but I think, you know, but I think, you know, that's not a bad pressure to have, you know, to to know that and, and, you know, it's it's a good motivator to kind of, you know, do your best, make sure you do your best. So, um, but yeah, so so kind of having come through that, we're we're now in this a twenty first century version of a you know nineteenth century organisation, and that's a remarkable thing. It's something we should be very proud of. So so yeah, I think think the future is oh, exciting. Very good, but, but it is it's evolution and yeah. constant evolution, and I think that's where the Halley for you know you know all our all our predecessors must be applauded for their roles in getting us to where we are now. And, and, you know, our job is to make sure it's there for, for generations to come. But just like, you know, Martin, maybe what you mentioned earlier with Barbara Ollie, you know, picking up the orchestra around the Second, uh, Second World War, you know, all these challenges have happened and, you know, the Halle has been all about change and representing its, its audience all the way through that. And uh, today is no different. Great. Um... We're going to start our venue quiz. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good you might be a bit biased. But, yeah. Uh, so what's your... Oh, yeah, first of all, um, what's your favourite part of working at the Halley? What do you prefer the most? Do, do you know, actually, I was at something yesterday. It's the people that I work with are my favourite part of working mm. at the Halley. It, it's, it, what we do is really important. Like, and, and there are moments when I feel great privilege sitting in the concert hall listening to the orchestra at their absolute best and I think well, this is my job mm-hmm. and I'm you know aren't I privileged and fortunate to be in a position where where as part of my job I get to enjoy this but I'm you know I've worked for the organisation for 18 years and I've worked with some brilliant people in that time mm-hmm. and and that that you know fundamentally if you're going to enjoy your job you've got to work you know you've got to be with people that you enjoy spending time with if you get in that, that for that length of time and we, we're very fortunate. We have, I think we're very fortunate. We've got a brilliant group of colleagues who are all committed, you know, that they, they, they care. And I think, you know, that, that sees the organisation in good stead. So for me, my favourite bit is, is people. But, you know, I have favourite moments. I can, you know, think yeah. of moments in concerts or, or performances. Yeah. I mean, you know, Steve talked earlier about the relaxed concerts. Uh, uh, we, we, uh, we performed a, a concert for people who are living with dementia, and people who are living with people who are living with dementia very recently, and and that was a really inspiring day in work to see. You know, talked about earlier the power of music, and the positive power of music on those people's lives. So, yeah, those you know, you get these sort of privileged standout moments of, mm. of kind of musical enjoyment, and then if you put that alongside working with great people, that's a very fortunate yeah, position. To definitely, be in. I'm yeah, going to echo that. I'm going to say exactly the same on that front. 
um, with the people we work with. That is, uh, I mean, for me, from a playing background, that's the players. I mean, one of the other sides to my sort of existence within this this industry, if you like, is I chair the ABO, the Association of British Orchestras Education Group. So I know educationally, in a sense, what goes on in the other orchestras. But the level of, of, of uh, commitment from our players and the level of cooperation is not beaten anywhere else. Hmm. And, that, and that says a lot about, as Martin says, you know, the people we work with around us all the time. I've got particular projects. I mean, for me, the, the big project that we do that I absolutely adore is when we've got a, a hall full of uh, children in the Bridgewater Hall playing with the orchestra or singing with the orchestra. That is really bonkers. It's absolutely really special uh, because, you know, that's the future. That's, that's where the players are coming from. That's where the audience is. And we've always had this policy. When anybody comes into contact with the orchestra, from Martin was saying about the quality, we give them the very, very best experience we possibly can. So they don't just come to a concert, they sing, they play, they dance with it. And hopefully that'll, they'll remember us in years to come and come back to us. Great. I like that. <laughs> um, what's your favourite venue as a performer? Maybe it's more a question for Steve, isn't it? Goodness me! Well, I, I may be about to reveal. Uh, go on, Martin. Yeah, yeah. Well, having having played, I, so I used to sing when I, I okay. when, so I, was, when I was when okay. I was a, a boy. I was a boy, uh, so I've sung a majority of the um, kind of big UK certainly. Um, but I suppose I, I probably mine is, is as a punter. My, my favorite my favorite venue as a punter is Manchester Apollo, um, which right. which I love for gigs for for. Uh, rock and pop gigs particularly yeah. I think yeah. it's a brilliant space it's you know art deco the, the, you know the, and it, it just feels although it's a big room it doesn't feel like a big room and I really love mm. it for, for shows there so two two venues for me both abroad actually dare I say it uh, the music for Ryan in in Vienna comes back very often was absolutely uh, yeah I was really privileged to, to perform there um, and the Concert Cabal in Amsterdam yeah, was a similar same. sort of mm-hmm. uh, thing. Those two places. Um, just in terms of the thrill, I think playing at the BBC Proms uh, was, was special. In terms of Halle, I mean, we love the Bridge Hall, no question about it. Yeah. But to listen to the orchestra, I really love the Royal Concert Hall in Nottingham. It's got a special warmth in the sound. Um, uh, I was fortunate just with just the beginning of this season, we was our 20th anniversary. Uh, concert there, which is our opening concert, main concert of the season, um, which Sir Mark conducted, and uh, we performed um, on Helden Laban, this big Strauss piece, where, as Martin mentioned, our new leader, Roberto, um, did a huge great violin solo in that, and it was just magical. So, yeah, Royal Console was quite special, but British Water Hall is brilliant, of course it is. It is, obviously. Uh, what's your favourite venue as a listener? Ah, oh, well, see, they, I've, I've probably gone early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Favourite venue as a listener? Yeah, I'm going to say probably gone early again. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to Nottingham for, the, for, yeah, yeah. for Halle, really. Um, Bridgewater on occasion, it just depends where you're sitting, but, but certainly a Royal Concert Hall. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, actually, actually, Stoke, Victoria Hall in Handley is a very special hall. The, the Halle used to record there okay. back in the Barbara Ollie's time. And it's quite small, it's relatively small, but if you want an orchestra to have impact and really you get the sense of a real impact, there's that, that, that takes a lot of beating as well. So yeah, pretty good, both those. 
could be an episode of the uh, podcast organized with them. There you go. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah I mean, I, I think, yeah, as a listener, experientially, I really love gigs at Manchester Apollo. I think yeah. I think they're, it, really? it's, okay. it's, I mean, they're all amplified. I suppose acoustically, I, I don't think you can beat the Bridgewater Hall acoustically. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is very well designed. Hall yeah. Yeah. We, 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 you we know, we, we, like I'm, I'm always mindful not to take it for granted because, you know, we know that there are plenty of other concert halls elsewhere in the country that, that are, you know, well known as places to go to listen to music, yeah. where, but where the listening to music experience isn't as high quality yeah. as you get in the visual. It's quite hall, bizarre so. in this nation that the two places where you want, if you want to go and listen to a, you know, really good acoustics, you go to Manchester and Birmingham. You wouldn't go to London. That's true. Yeah. And that's why there's, there had, well, there had been a new concert hall that was going to be bit but yeah stop there you go yeah and i suppose actually if i were to sit and listen anywhere in the bridgewater hall it would be in the gallery the bridgewater hall <laughs> i would sit right at the top of that i think you're right the sound the up there sound. is so lovely yeah it's so lovely what i like about the bridgewater hall is it seems so very accessible in terms of it's not too opulent as no. a building and also it's very accessible from wherever you live Transport. within greater manchester let's say yeah. Uh, yeah. or maybe out, slightly outside but it's very accessible but it's a really good quality concert hall it well, of course it's accessibility is part, probably part of its key in terms of the acoustic treatment because they knew that the tram line yes. was going directly up <coughs> so therefore they had to account for that in, in the building of it and yeah. the springs on which it sits is yeah. a kind of a key Amazing. key part of its identity acoustically yeah. I think so, yeah, they're enormous yeah, yeah. Um, how about favourite place to rehearse um, it's more as it's not necessarily as acoustics but how convenient it is um, how um, comfortable you feel uh, I think St Peter's I think St Peter's I mean yeah we bicycles we are but but as Martin said it's got a, it's got an acoustic that, that, that applies to so many different things it's multifunctional yeah but when I've, when I've done small group stuff, as I've frequently done, particularly with the relaxed ensembles and so on, and you're trying to balance an ensemble, you get a very, very true picture. And it doesn't change that much with the audience. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I think it's a really good place to rehearse. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to answer that for myself because, you know, I, I don't be a bit biased. But, um, but I think it's telling that we regularly receive ensembles from outside of the organisation here yeah. so particularly those you know within Manchester so the Safra Ensemble Manchester Camerata Manchester Collective even the BBC Philharmonic have rehearsed here and have come back so and Cheesing School of Music yeah, ran, yeah. ran a full week's course here you know so so we've provided I, I, the thing I think I'm most proud of is that we've added um, an asset to the city another art yeah. you know, really good art you know thing, yeah. and, and there was a period where across all our spaces in a week we had all of the all of the groups that I've just named in one week now I I was left with the feeling well where did they go before we were here um and uh, you know I think so I think that you know we proved the need we proved the the necessity for for the space and you know the fact that they come back we've yeah. proved we've proved the quality I think that's that's kind of 
Uh, I was talking with, with somebody from Manchester Camerata recently who, who's just returned to Manchester after a period away and, and she was sort of singing the praises of the, the you know our development here in that it's made their lives much easier to know that they've got this facility that they can call upon. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they like us, had had a nomadic existence and, and still do to a certain extent. But for certain projects... We'll just put, we'll, we'll put that at St Peter's because yeah. we know it will work we'll for work, us, and, and I think that's that's really important. So yeah, brilliant. Um, which venue would you like to perform, or would you love to perform? You've never not performed in. I've never performed in. Um, it's a very very good question. If you had a dream, possibly Carnegie Hall, actually, New York. Really special acoustic there. In York? New, New York. New York. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so Lincoln Centre, yeah. any of that sort yeah. of. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, well, I think just performing in New York, full stop, would be very nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and obviously, last question is uh, who would you suggest as a guest? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say one, one episode I'd like to organise is an episode with women uh, conductors of different ages because I've listened to a podcast uh, a year um, ago and it was with um, I can't remember her name she's a friend um, but she she's a conductor and she really struggled to be recognised and even passed the tests and she had awful comments from male saying women couldn't Uh, conduct an orchestra for physical reasons yeah. uh, so I'd really like to organise an episode if it's if it's possible through well um, the Halle or anything yeah. well I'm sure have the different generations would, would, yeah yeah Deliana yeah so they can share their experience I can I can honestly say and I know this is sort of you know broadcasting and all that sort of thing I've I have to, in my role I have to work with all the assistants yeah. so that's from Ed Gardner all the way through to Deliana and I can yeah. honestly say that think the best we've had is Deliana because she has got so much skill in terms of the level of performance she needs to work at so she can do the really sort of high 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 art if you like performances and she can deliver on that and the orchestra really respects her but she's also brilliant with the with the children yeah so she she really she, she adapts that skill which you have to do even more in the 21st century in a sense to all the different levels of whatever you're performing at, she's a natural at just fitting where that needs to. So she's the best. Great. Well, I'll be yeah. in touch with that. Yeah. So, yeah, who would you so, suggest? So we Best go through Naomi, probably. Yeah, yeah. To, to speak to her, uh, so um, we, we can make that arrangement. Yeah. yeah. So but who would I suggest for you to talk to? Yeah, if um, you, before, before I said that comment. Okay, so um, what I was thinking about it before, um, I, I think it'd be... Gavin Sharp and the team at Band on the Wall, who we work with very closely here, and they've just had a they've just had a, a, an extension to mm. a historic building. Um, Great. So and and you know a, a similarly you know very different part of the music ecology of the city, but similarly passionate and and brilliant group of people connected with it. You know. Yeah. Um, so I think you know Gavin and his team over there. You know they're really interesting. They've got this new development. I, I'm, I haven't caught up with them as much as I would have liked since they've opened. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how that's 
you know the, the extra space that they've created and the additional facilities that they've been able to kind of uh, harness by by not a huge sort of alteration. What I really like about what they've done with the extension is it still feels like Band on the Wall, um, although it's it's a well it's a fair bit larger now, um, and they've got a better performance space. The stage is better. It, it kind of all feels it all feels kind of more put together. So yeah, so they yeah, they would be, be my. Great guest. Yeah, yeah. And, and alternative to them would be to speak with um, uh, Sally Cook and Ben Powell, who've recently taken on the um, the Saffir Ensemble, okay. who regularly perform here at St Peter's. Um, they're a really interesting um, contemporary music ensemble, very scalable. Sometimes there's two of them, sometimes there's 18 of them. Um, Ben's uh, in as, as their... Um, music director and uh, Sally's come in as sort of the, the uh, I, I guess general manager sort of uh, to, to run the whole organisation which is a different model mm-hmm. to what to the one that, that would be very interesting to yeah to so, so that, that you know they are in an absolute moment of evolution yeah and um, will collectively have a vision about where the organisation is going to go in its you know its next volume if you like I think I think they've they've it's not a chapter for them. They've, they've closed one book and they're now start, mm. starting another. And I think, yeah, you know, a, an organisation that, that, you know, is much loved and has has had considerable impact on the in a very quiet way on on the world of music in, in you know, particularly contemporary mu- classical music in, in this city and beyond. Um, uh, you know, what what do they become and ha- what's their vision? And, you know, I'd be fascinated to sort of know mm. what their what their thought processes are, um, yeah. you know. So, yeah, they, they would be two suggestions for you. Good suggestions. I was thinking you might go and have a chat with Tom Redmond at Chet's. So he was a member of the Halle. Yeah. Because um, you obviously, when Mark, you were, you were questioning the sort of linkages between the systems and how yeah. that relates to the Royal Northern Halle or whatever. Um, that might be an interesting conversation. He's a very interesting sort of guy. Partly because he's also a, a a brilliant concert presenter and all the other aspects of the work he does. Yeah, radio presenting. Radio, yeah, radio yeah, three. He's multifaceted, yeah, isn't he? Absolutely, he's, really interesting yeah. fella. Um, and then I mentioned Jamie Sloan at the Museum of Science and Industry, just yep. because they we've just run a recent project with them with with a load of school children um, with some science and music sort of concepts and crossovers, um, uh, and he just seemed to be a very fascinating guy, very keen on on different ways of working and so on. They're looking at working with us for February half term and how we can help um, articulate like, articulate their spaces, particularly what's happening there. You probably know, but there's a lot of closed down spaces because they're rebuilding and redeveloping, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Um, and all they've got is the main hall open. But um, I thought a pretty fascinating sort of fella to talk about that sort of thing and the development of the as a space. Yeah, definitely, well interesting. Well, thank you very much, no, Stephen pleasure. Martin. Um, don't know how long that one that episode lasted, but it was all really interesting talks. Great. Good, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers.